On this edition of the Iowa Business Report. This bill quickly became a bill that covered everybody that had an interaction with the public that was looking to begin commerce again. After a three-month recess due to COVID-19, the Iowa legislature returned to finish its session earlier this month. We'll break down some of the key results. For some, video conferencing means turning the video off. We'll explain who does that and why. And we'll meet a man who is now using his 40 years of economic development experience to help individual businesses. This is the Iowa Business Report for the final weekend of June 2020. The Iowa Business Report is presented with support from the Iowa Association of Business and Industry. The Iowa Association of Business and Industry has been the voice of Iowa business since 1903. Learn more online at iowaabi.org. Here is Jeff Stein. Like many of us, the Iowa General Assembly altered its plans when the global pandemic struck, recessing in mid-March and returning for an intensive week and a half at the beginning of June. Many businesses and organizations keep tabs on what the legislature is doing, including the Iowa Association of Business and Industry. J.D. Davis is Iowa ABI's Vice President of Public Policy. Brad Hartkopf is the group's Director of Public Policy. We spoke via Zoom on June 22nd to see what new laws will impact employees and employers. Well, Jeff, uh, we did get final passage on some of our priorities that we had going in in January. We did not have complete passage before the legislature took its break. But uh, when they did come back in and finish up, we did get some of our priorities that we had set out early that still made sense uh, past the finish line. Listeners may recall ABI was seeking some clarification in a conflict in the Iowa Code on medical marijuana and whether or not new advances in medical marijuana had any impact on uh, an employer's right to keep a drug-free workplace and how those all meshed. And and we had uh, suggested legislation on how that would work. Uh, That did pass. We also had some some concern for some taxation issues. Uh, Overseas income for some businesses was going to be taxed for the first time and we wanted to make sure that did not occur. That's another thing that uh, also uh, uh, did pass as the legislature finished up. We also cared deeply about childcare. Well, then you, you alluded to there was a big change in the middle of, a, of the legislature. Well, childcare was important going in because we were at full employment, and childcare was important at the end because many people felt stranded on uh, how to uh, be able to work and take care of their children when childcare facilities were closed. So we're looking for innovations in childcare, and that was part of the legislation that passed in the end. Brad, this certainly was a unique session, one that no one had ever experienced. We have had special sessions where the lawmakers come back, but never one that was interrupted like this. And that was a pretty intense less than two weeks at the end, including uh, at least one overnight session I'm aware of. How did this real rush to the finish alter what it is that you do on a regular basis with lawmakers? Well, first, Jeff, thank you for the opportunity to be on with you today. And uh, it was great working with J.D. We made a a great team representing our member companies up at the Capitol. And uh, as you said, there was quite a rush near the end. Uh, We did a lot of our work during the hiatus uh, that the legislature had that two and a half month break. And uh, obviously, we didn't even know what coronavirus was back in December of 2019. And 
<laughs> that became a large focus of what we were trying to get done following uh, the end of the hiatus. And uh, one thing was that uh, Senate File 2338, the um, coronavirus liability protection bill, and uh, something that we're very uh, pleased to spearhead and work with others in the lobby on as well. And really trying to give businesses and individuals who stepped up during our country's and uh, state's time of need to produce the PPE and uh, uh, help those who have been injured by the virus to give them the, the certainty that they need to have, uh, that they can operate without facing a, a lawsuit uh, just for doing the right thing. So that was really one thing we were pleased to push over the finish line this year. I'm so glad you mentioned working during the hiatus because there are a lot of people who just assumed, okay, the lawmakers aren't in session and everything was dormant. But that was hardly the case because not only were you still working behind the scenes in terms of advocating for your priorities, but you had to pivot to what new priorities might be there and and what the lay of the land might be when they came back to town. So this was no day off or uh, three months off, was it? No, it certainly wasn't. J.D. and I found uh, several ways to remain busy during this time, whether that was helping our member companies uh, navigate through the number of resources that were coming from the federal government or state government in regards to the COVID-19 liability. The issue there that they were trying to resolve, uh, you know, we talked about a lot of the federal laws and explained a lot of the benefits and how that might affect their companies and what they could do to take advantage of those. And as I referencing this COVID-19 bill, working with lawmakers uh, ahead of time to make sure we had the, the details right and uh, to make sure that it was something that was palatable to them. Uh, we have to make sure that that's always the case. And uh, we were pleased to find a receptive audience in the General Assembly and uh, very happy that it got done. J.D., that bill with regard to liability is something that many are pointing toward as a model for others to follow in other states, but also at the federal level. Some of it had to do with circumstances. Iowa was going to have to come back and complete a session, and so you were able to to be there at the right time when necessary. There was no special session necessary, like was the case in Minnesota last week, and it certainly did not have the positive impact that the Iowa session did. Talk about what it took to form the coalition necessary to get that bill across the finish line. This is a, a point where it was good that we had the full interim to be able to develop a, a coalition and really understand the issues that we're facing uh, employers. So the first part of the interim, just as uh, Brad was indicating, we were just trying to help employers keep their workers safe and secure. And so, so that meant uh, understanding the federal programs, figuring out how to get uh, unemployment insurance to those that must be laid off because production was down. Then it was, how do we climb back out? How do we work about going and bringing our people back? How do we get production back? How do we identify those things that are going to be issues for employers? And quickly, we had identified the bill that passed that included shields for lawsuits. One of the big concerns was the litigation and settlement costs that employers could face with lawsuits that would be filed. So this was not unique just to the main core manufacturing members that we have at ABI, but to anybody that has a premise that needs to be open for business. So this bill quickly became a bill that covered everybody that had an interaction with the public, but that was looking to begin commerce again. And how did they prevent the judicial branch from becoming that institution that was forced into trying to figure out where to lay blame for the spread of something that was a community spread virus classified as a worldwide pandemic. You really can't say this happened in this corner of that shop on this day. Uh, We needed to avoid that type of blame setting. 
that type of financial and time distraction that employers are going to have would have been hitting at just the worst time, just as we're trying to get all resources pointed to lifting the economy back up. Brad, the devil's advocate on this issue is, well, this is going to make it difficult for employees, potentially, who are aggrieved to file a lawsuit, etc. What's the response to that? I mean, the easy answer is to say, if the employers do not have incentive to reopen, there will be no employees. But what's a more nuanced response to the counter that you hear on this issue? I think some of the folks who are making that argument aren't necessarily explaining everything that is in the bill. You look at several different sections. I think there are six or seven sections, and almost all of them contain uh, provisions that say if an individual or a business is trying to intentionally inflict coronavirus on top of somebody, or if they're trying to harm someone, there's use of reckless disregard, they act with actual malice, then lawsuits may continue to proceed, which is something that we support, and that's something that the legislature demanded be in there, which we were totally fine with because it's the right thing. We're trying to make sure that the good actors, those who stepped up our, our manufacturers and our other folks who produced that valuable equipment and the healthcare providers who uh, did the right thing by taking in folks who were infected and that they don't have to face a uh, unnecessarily frivolous or lawsuit that is not brought in the best intentions, I would say. And, and so if you look at the text of the bill, this is clearly not shielding bad actors, but making sure that uh, those who did the right thing are protected. Brad Hartkopf and J.D. Davis of the Public Policy Department within the Iowa Association of Business and Industry. There's much more to the conversation. You can hear it as an IBR Extra podcast. Still to come, who is more likely to turn the video off when video conferencing? And how one man is turning four decades of experience into a service for businesses and organizations. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. Though many Iowans have been working from home lately, roughly 80% of Iowa's workforce has still been reporting for duty as normal. I'm Mike Ralston of the Iowa Association of Business and Industry, inviting you to join me in thanking Iowa's manufacturers, healthcare workers, and first responders for their efforts during the pandemic. Working together, Iowa will be back soon, stronger than ever. The Iowa Business Report is a copyrighted production of Totally Iowa Media, which is solely responsible for its content. For more, click on the radio programs button at totallyiowa.com. It happens during just about every video conference. One or more attendees will be present in audio-only form. And it appears gender may play the biggest factor in determining who turns the camera off. According to a new Harris poll conducted for the publication Fast Company, only 55% of women currently working from home say they always or sometimes enable video during a video conference. That's compared with 65% of men who do so. Barely half the women, nearly two-thirds of the men. And the survey of more than 2,000 adults conducted earlier this month says when women do use video, they prep. 85% do their hair. 80% change what they're wearing. 83% tidy up the workplace that shows on camera. Each of those numbers, around 10% higher for women than men. 
Experts suggest all this is because those who traditionally have been subjected to scrutiny about their appearance have a harder time with their physical presence showing on screen. Another factor, according to the survey, women are more likely to multitask during such a meeting than men and don't want to be seen checking email or texting. To be fair, I've done Zoom meetings virtually every day the past three months, and I've had both women and men turn off the video or ask if I was recording the video to post online, because if the answer to that was yes, they wanted time to present a better appearance to the public. Coming up, getting decades of prime experience on an as-needed basis. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. The Iowa Business Report is presented with support from the Iowa Association of Business and Industry, helping develop the next generation of business leaders through Leadership Iowa and Leadership Iowa University. To learn more, go to iowaabi.org. In this week's business profile, we'll introduce you to Stephen Dust of Waterfront Corporate Services, an Iowa-based company. Steve Dust has been involved in business and economic development for some 40 years, first in his home state of Missouri and for the past quarter century here in Iowa. He explains what his new venture can offer businesses. Waterfront Corporate Services is an advisory and an interim services firm, and we primarily serve closely held businesses, regardless of size, but those that are, are usually privately held in one way or another usually in manufacturing service or technologies. They're larger nonprofits or foundations uh, that have an enterprise role somewhere in the organization. It could be local and regional governments of any size, but they're going to be Midwest based. And the bundle of services that uh, we offer include anything that has to do with strategic growth and change initiatives, as well as real estate strategies for commercial and industrial operations. I really enjoy providing business unit acquisition strategies and integration. You know, one of the things that businesses really miss sometimes is the difficult piece of integrating an acquisition into the existing, not only operation, but also culture. And and that's something that we offer. We work with cities and regions on economic growth strategies, particularly as it relates to redeveloping a property or an area, and also placemaking, which is a relatively new word in economic development, but it means that you're looking at growing value-added businesses holistically and attracting talent holistically rather than a, a project at a time. And then we'll implement all of those things either as an advisor or in an interim role, if they need somebody to be on site for a period of time to accomplish any of this, uh, we're available for that, but also in a pure advisory role. I believe that uh, our strategies are sound, and the best way I can prove that is to help them implement. Now, during the time that you have been involved in economic development, I would dare say, certainly the last 30 years, we've had a bit of a mindset differential, and you alluded to it about the image of place, the image of regional development, 
as yes. opposed to cities within a small area, in essence, creating a circular firing squad. And so the right. whole area just becomes depressed. Right. Talk about as we now are in 2020, as we have global economies in virtually everything, and you've traveled globally in support of the entities you've represented, but now we have post-COVID-19. Why is it even more important than ever for the concept of purposeful regional development to really be emphasized, regardless of the size of the area, be it metro or, or rural? And it, and it really runs the gamut. Uh, it goes through the entire range. First of all, we, you said the right words. It's, it's a global economy. We have to understand that no matter what size our city is, what size our region is, it has to fit somehow into the global marketplace where the businesses inside of our region are going to grow as a result of their ability to source globally and to sell globally for the most part, different, different uh, scales, but still that's going to be important to them over the long haul, which means we look at the world a little differently. That's the reason I talk about the Midwest. We are all proud Iowans. We're all proud Missourians, Nebraskans, whatever the case may be. And we all have our specific differences like any city does. But the fact of the matter is globally, we're looked at as the United States heartland. In my mind, Chicago should be seen as our capital. That is our global city entry point. So if you look at it from that perspective, now we start working on what does our local community, a region, have to look like in order to win in that competitive environment? Well, we have to, A, be the kind of place where talented people want to live and build a career. Further, it has to be the kind of place where talented students want to stay. And that means we have to have a value added or a career path for them when they finish the first part of their education, their lifelong learning. That starts to tell us, okay, what's placemaking? Placemaking is comprehensively looking at the region and beginning to develop the attributes that are necessary for that talent to want to come and stay for businesses that are value added and not commodity oriented to want to invest in that location. Of course, there can be growth strategies associated with that, but it's really about solidifying the physical attributes and the culture of the place to respond to that new global economy. One of the experiences you had a couple of decades ago was to bring together disparate communities each had its own way of doing things, from economic development, from chambers of commerce, et cetera. And I'm speaking of the Cedar Valley of Iowa. And you had to bring these folks together and, in essence, create and sell them on the vision that growing apart was not going to lead to growth. The only way to actually grow was to grow together. Right. How difficult is it? And I'm not necessarily referring yeah. to that one example, but, but again, communities have rivalries. How yes, difficult is it to get people together and get them all on the, on the same vision page? Well, I, I think that uh, that's a terrific question from a, from a mechanic's point of view, and that's how I saw my role as a mechanic, because community leaders had gotten together much before, a year before I arrived to have that conversation and to come to the conclusion that things were better together than apart when it came to economic and community development. And one of the standard things that I say, frankly, in that conversation is, look, I want everybody's 
football team to win every Friday night. I want everybody's offering plate to be full every Sunday morning. I want all of those local identities to be strong and to thrive. But what we have to do is understand that the economy doesn't obey city limits. The economy obeys where investment is treated well and is invited. And we have to be that place. And in order for us to be that place, we have to gather all of the attributes we have. A railroad running through the south half of the county is claimed by the north half of the county as well as adjacent counties as well. The university sitting at one spot is claimed by everybody. So let's get all of our attributes together and market this in the strongest economic base story that we can possibly put together. That's the kind of approach that you have to have to get people to the table. And again, dispense with the zero-sum game conversation. It's the bigger pie. We're all creating the bigger solution or outcome for the entire region and help people understand that it does no good to recruit a business from one town or one county to an adjacent town or an adjacent county. Once you overcome that obstacle and you have both community leaders and the professionals pulling in the same direction, whether by persuasion or otherwise, then you can make headway. And I I think that most regions who have been able to do it have thrived. Steve Dust is the CEO and principal at Waterfront Corporate Services, LLC. You can reach him directly by email, sdust at waterfrontcorporate.com. And that brings us to the close of this week's program. Next week, we'll kick off the third quarter of 2020 by analyzing what Iowa businesses expect post-pandemic. That and more next week at this same time. In the meantime, you can listen to all or part of today's program by going to totallyiowa.com and clicking on the radio programs link. You'll also find podcasts of full interviews with many of the folks you hear on this program, They're listed as IBR Extras. And we're also found on all the major podcast distributors, including Apple, iHeart, Spotify, and Google. We welcome your comments. Send them by email to radio at totallyiowa.com. I'm Jeff Stein. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you have a prosperous week. The Iowa Business Report is presented with support from the Iowa Association of Business and Industry. Follow ABI on Twitter at IowaABI and online at iowaabi.org.